0: Good afternoon, you're listening to K-Tahoe, the new 96.1 at AM 590. It's time for The Bright Side with Alexis Robin. Good afternoon, and welcome to week three of our guidepost to wholehearted living. We are uh, working through Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, Letting Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embracing Who You Are. So this week we're talking about cultivating a resilient spirit and letting go of numbing and powerlessness. If you're new to, to the show, I'm Alexis Robin. I'm a local life and business coach, co-founder of Link Coaching Center for Excellence, where we do leadership development and uh, executive coaching. And I'm here with Jen, my co-host, Jen Jennifer Scanio from K-Tahoe. And so uh, we're going to be taking you through how to c- cultivate your own resilient spirit this week. So, well, you need one. <laughs> yep, you do. So, um, so resilience is the idea to the this idea of uh, the having the ability to overcome adversity, and we talk about it uh, in the positive psychology world as the ability to bend without breaking. So I often use the metaphor of a blade of grass. I'll say to people, you know, when we're talking about this concept of resilience, I say, well, imagine when you step on a piece of grass, what happens? They say it smushes to the ground. I said, and then when you step off of it, what happens? And they said, generally it springs back up. And that's what being resilient is about. It's this idea of being able to have trauma, adversity in your life and grow from it rather than getting affected by it or getting stuck. And so, um, so there's five of the most common factors that make up people who are most resilient. And before I read them, Jen, like on a scale of one to 10, how resilient do you think you are? 10. 10. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm pretty resilient (laughs) as well. I mean, I've gone through a lot of things and I kind of always come out on the other side and my mom always says, you know, you Robbins, that's my family name. You always land on your feet you know, no matter what happens, it seems like you always land on your feet. And we've come to believe in my family, um, my nuclear family at home, husband and kids that like when bad things happen to us, we just think, oh, wow. Like, what are we getting? Like, first we grieve and we feel bad about it. But then we think like, what's life serving like teeing up for us? Yep. What's what's possible on the other side of this? Like, how could we, there might be something really good awaiting us on the other side and so um, so that's part of our resiliency practice but the five most common factors of resilient people one is that they're resourceful and they have good problem-solving skills now um, when I read this it struck me that a lot of our education system today is teaching kids how to answer correctly versus teaching kids how to solve problems and I wouldn't say this you know generally for all teachers and all curriculum and I know that in California we're trying to move back to the um core uh common core co- common core thank you you're welcome <laughs> to the common core and and so i think there's a move back to this problem solving but you know there's been about 12 to 15 years of kids who have been taught to solve you know to to solve for the correct answer and to find the correct answer and write that down and that kind of scares me because i think um if, if we're just learning as little people how to answer correctly and we're putting that, you know, last week we talked about perfectionism and we're putting the, you know, the gold stars on, ooh, you got the right answer versus, ooh, you really thought about this in an interesting way. Um, that could be a challenge to the, these kids growing up and becoming more resilient in the future. So just throwing it out there, um, that kind of came up to, as I was reading this, uh, so think about helping your kids to solve problems at home versus just giving them the answer. Uh, so the second thing that is common in a, in resilient people is that they're more likely to seek help. And yesterday I just saw my friend Kim Montoya, she's opening her own business and she's got kids and she's married and they're traveling and she's all this stuff's going on. And she posted on Facebook that, you know, it's okay to be going through all this and I need to remind myself to allow people to help me and like to say yes when they offer. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it, right? Is seeking out help. Like you're right. I need help right now. I'm going to need help, um, moving. I'm going to need help cleaning. I'm going to need help unpacking. I'm going to just need help. Like having somebody hold the space for me in this difficult time and, and be my friend right and tell me yep I've been there and empathize with me so being willing to um, seek out help is the second factor the third is people who are resilient hold a belief that they can do something that will help them to manage their feelings and to cope so this kind of falls into this whole idea of hopefulness mm-hmm. and you've heard me talk about hopefulness long time ago um, on on a couple of different shows but uh, with in, in accordance to Lopez's theory about how people who have hope can withstand twice as much pain for twice as long as people who don't. So women must be more hopeful than men. I'm just thinking of the childbirth process. <laughs> possibly, possibly. <laughs> but, um, but Brene in her book, she talks about the research of C.R. Schneider, who comes, um, from a, from the university of Kansas at Lawrence. And, uh, she said she was shocked to find out that hope was not an emotion, which I think I, I think about hope is a value for me. Hope and optimism is definitely a value for me, but um, not as an emotion, but as a it's a way of thinking or a cognitive process. And it's interesting because it kind of um, lines up with Edwin Locke's goal setting theory. But it's this idea that Snyder says that. Um, People who have hope or, you know, use hope have the ability to set realistic goals. I know where I want to go. They are able to figure out how to achieve those goals, including the ability to stay flexible and develop alternative paths. So this is the whole idea of like, oh, I have, a, have decided that I I think this is how it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. And then realizing halfway through like, oh, that's not going to work out. Wow. We're going to have to change our approach here and do something different. And that's Okay. Right. And, and being resilient in the process to Mm -hmm. change direction and be nimble. And then, um, and then also in alignment with that is this idea that you can tolerate disappointment, right? You're persistent. You keep trying. And even if something doesn't work out, you don't give up on the end goal. You just try a different path. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like driving down the street, trying to get somewhere and running into a detour. Yep. You know, do you say, oh, there's a detour, the road's closed, I'm not going. <laughs> no, you're like, oh, I'm going to turn right and drive around the block and then I'm going to get back on my path, right? So it's yep. the same idea. And then finally, um, this idea of being hopeful is this idea of believing in ourselves. I can do this. Now, I will be the first to admit as a mother of twins that I did way too much for my kids. And mostly... I did a lot for my kids for my own selfish reasons. I was in a hurry. I was trying to get to work. So rather than let them suffer through and tie their own shoes, I just did it for them. Mm -hmm. But what we risk when we do this is that we risk sending an unintended message to our kids that they can't do it themselves, right? And so you may be thinking, like, why are you talking about kids so much? But I think it's really important to understand, like, the roots of this work, And it's, and we, I think can have the most powerful effect of not only using this work for ourselves, but also gleaning insights for how we can apply that to children and the children in our lives, whether they're your nieces and nephews or your neighbor's kids or your students in your classroom or your own children, um, really being able to understand how this, all this stuff gets planted when we're very young, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. the idea of telling your kid like, yeah, you can do this. I know you can, or, Hey, take your time struggle through it. It's fine. That's how we learn versus like, Oh, here, I'll do it for you. Yep. Right. So I, you know, I regret that and I wish I wouldn't have done it as much, but I'm really glad that, you know, I figured it out around age eight and was able to change some things. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, and that's part of it, right? Here we are embracing our gifts of imperfection. That's right. Hello, We talked about that last week. So, um, so that's number, uh, so that's number three, people who believe that they can do something to manage their feelings and cope. And then number four, people have who are resilient have social support available to them. And they also, number five, are connected with others, such as family or friends. So, and this is, you know, we talk about authentic connection um, and being supportive. So um, so really important things here in terms of practicing resilience. So, um, So one thing that happens is or one thing that we're noticing as a very um, common theme is that people, particularly in North America, I don't know about the rest of the world because I don't live there, but people are getting, having a really hard time with discomfort. You know, our tolerance for discomfort has gone way down. Mm -hmm. And so that comes like if you've ever felt uncomfortable giving somebody feedback in the office, you know, like, Hey, you're not quite doing your job the way that I need you to do it. That can be a source of extreme discomfort for people and things like I'm uncomfortable because I'm feeling guilty about a behavior that I exhibited, or I'm feeling uncomfortable because I'm feeling like I don't belong here, or I feel like I don't fit in, or I feel like, um, I didn't do well enough. And so what happens is that when we start to feel these big negative emotions, Brene talks about it as them having a sharp point. So it's like a thorn. And when you just begin to feel it, it kind of pricks you and you're like, "Mm, I don't want to feel that. So what do we do? We numb. We numb. We're really good at numbing. And in her research, when she first started looking at numbing, she looked at addiction and how that kind of plays out. However, um, as she went on, she realizes that people, we all numb and we do it on a continuum. And so, and they're everything from numbing. It can be, um, drinking drugs, eating, shopping. My very favorite, which I think is the new numbing addiction of the world right now, busyness. Oh, I'm so busy. I can't even stop to think. Yep. We were in a meeting recently where, um, I was sitting with somebody and, and they were having a hard time coming up with something. And I said, you know, or we did a meditation and she said, yeah, it was just really uncomfortable. Like I really couldn't sit still for that, like three minutes. It was, that was very uncomfortable. And I said, well, you know, some people can't be still because it's, they've been so busy. They've been running at such a high octave for so long octane, like go, 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 go all the time that they've numbed. By doing that, and when they stop and they sit still, like the feelings all come to the forefront, and they don't want to feel that, and so what they get is discomfort. Yep. And what happens with that is that, uh, and and she just kind of went silent, and then eventually got up and walked away <laughs> with Oops. a little wry smile. And I thought, oh, maybe that resonated. I don't know, but um, but it is something to think about. Like if you're somebody who can't sit still. Then you may be numbing with busyness, and that's something to think about. So, um, so when you're thinking about how to build and cultivate resilience, this chapter is really rich in um, the ideas around um, being connected to something higher than ourselves. The ideas of hope and power, um, and lots of really great pieces on this numbing. So, I recommend I recommend going through and reading the chapter if this is this stuff starting to resonate for you. Go through and read. Um, you know, the 10 pages or so, because it's, it's, could be really, uh, opening, But one of the things you can try to do as you, um, as you're moving forward after the show is think about like, how do I numb? Mm-hmm. So I've been really conscious lately to see like, what do I do that numbs? So I do this thing where I get really busy. I, that's one of my favorite ones is numbing with busyness. Like I'm so busy. I have to get the house clean. I have to do this. I have to do that. Like if I just don't slow down, I won't feel this discomfort, or I like to numb with wine, like not lots of it, not like scary amounts. But, you know, like I notice when I'm pouring a glass of wine, I'll ask myself now, like, are you pouring this glass of wine to really enjoy it and to enjoy the flavor and the way that it pairs with your food and everything? Or are you just pouring it because it's been a long day, <laughs> right? So I'm trying to get more realistic about that and ask myself the question, right? And- That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to stop drinking wine. I love to have a glass of wine after work. But I, I'm just starting to notice what's my intention, and am I even enjoying it, or is it, you know, am yeah. I just not? Am I being unconscious about it? So notice where um, where you feel negative emotions, and where you numb, and and then also notice the kind of the one big point in this chapter, in this about this guidepost is that you can't numb the dark without numbing the light. So you cannot create a situation where you are holding off and not feeling the negative feelings but still feel the positive it's not possible when you numb the light you numb the dark when you numb the dark you numb the light and when you same thing with you know when you're numbing the bad feelings you're numbing the good feelings and you're not going to be able to experience joy and gratitude and hope and you know, happiness and all these things, which we're going to talk a little bit, a bit about joy and gratitude next week. Um, but you can't enjoy that without, yeah. um, when you're numbing the bad. So, um, so there's this nice quote that's at the end of this chapter that I want to share as we close. Uh, it's from a researcher, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and she says, people are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out, but when the darkness sets in, their beauty is revealed only if there is a light from within. So I just, I think that that's such a sweet sentiment. And so think about like, how do you cultivate your resilient spirit and how do you get your light to be brighter from within when dark times come? Good things to think about. Good things. All right, so join us next week for cultivating gratitude and joy and letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. This is Alexis Robin on the bright side. And if you have comments or you want to chime in to the conversation, join us on the positivity link on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much. We will see you here next week. Same time, same place. You've been listening to The Bright Side with Alexis Robin here on K Tahoe.